we'll uh, go ahead and start here because we are in one great text. I just smile all over the place when we get in this area, this whole book of Ephesians, but uh, in uh, chapter 1, and we're uh, heading right into verse 6, and um, last week we talked about according to the good pleasure of His will, and that's all connected with this next phrase, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved, or some will read a little differently there. Uh, close though. Um, you know what our highest destiny is? It's described here in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. That's the highest destiny. Why has God predestined us to sonship and to be holy and blameless and in love well, in verse 6 it answers. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and finally you get up to the majestic peak because everything is about the glory of God. And that actually kind of ends a section that really emphasizes the Father. And then when we get into verse 7, we'll start emphasizing the Son. In Him we have redemption through His blood. So it'll speak of Christ and as we finish out this section and... Uh, 13 and 14 will be emphasizing the Holy Spirit. So the whole triune God is involved in this, uh, all to the praise of the glory of God and His grace. Our holiness, our blamelessness, uh, our love, our sonship are fantastic, and they were just super, and they just kept building up and building up. But it's not the end, is it? It's not the end. It's it's a a means to the, the whole purpose of everything. If... If only the world could know there is one reason, one purpose for everything. Glory to God. They exist for uh, something greater to the praise of glory of God's grace. So the ultimate goal of God and election and predestination and all those great words is that God would be praised for His glory. The highest point of the glory is grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. That's the highest point of His Glory. This is the final goal of our destiny. I guess we could just stop right there. <laughs> but there's more to see. Uh, think about it. There's no higher hope. Nothing higher than this. No greater tomorrow. No more thing that's more meaningful than this right here. No more meaningful future than the fact that uh, to the praise of the glory of God's grace. This is a worthy cause to live for, isn't it? This is the reason we live. So we want to reflect and uh, be able to uh, show forth God's glory, His grace forever and ever and ever. John Piper says, The certainty of that destiny is grounded in the freedom of God and the all-sufficient work of His Son, Jesus. We We have a destiny, and it is certain without a doubt without any kind of doubt whatsoever, and it's grounded in the fact that God has freedom in whatever He wants to do. It's all for His glory. The all-sufficient work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, what a grand, glorious theme that we always should be thinking on, and that is to the praise of the glory of Your grace. And it is an awesome matter indeed, May we never forget what is before us. And as we see who you are, then we get to see ourselves and, and, and personally, each, each of us individually, how you have put us into the family of God. And we can't help but shout out. Shout out praise. And as we uh, think about what you've done to us individually, and we, and we can come together and then kind of share about uh, your very person and what you're about, what you've done. We uh, take that as a special privilege. All for your glory. In your Son's name, amen. amen. Well, the first part is God's glory. The ultimate motive, the ultimate purpose. And, of course, when you think about God's glory, you have to think a little bit of uh, what what His glory is. It's really the... Uh, the very essence is the essential nature of God. It's taking all of His attributes and putting them into one. There's different ways of sizing this up. Uh, in the Hebrew, it means weighty 
The glory of God is weighty. It's a weighty matter, heavy matter. Uh, it's, it's all of who God is. I, I have to think of uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, talking about God revealing His Son in these last days. And in there, He talks about the very glory of His Son. Um, pick it up in verse 3 there. Who being the brightness, the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, the reason that being He is God. And so the next few verses there deal with that. Uh, he's better than the uh, highest of all the angels. Why would He be? Well, He's he's the Son of God. He's God. He's the heir of all things. He's the Creator. But He is the brightness of God's very, very glory. Christ is how we see God's glory. The very brightness, the express image, the very image of the person of God is found through Christ. He's revealed Him to us, Jesus Christ. Sense of nature. Brightness and beauty, majesty, splendor, greatness, might, eternity. Go to uh, Exodus uh, chapter 40. Get a little bit of the glory of God in that uh, book of Exodus. Quite a bit, really, that is revealed. Moses experienced it, and the people experienced it. You have the cloud covering the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In Exodus 25 through 40, you know, you get the tabernacle that is uh, to be built and built and during that time and uh, the glory of the Lord filled it there. That was uh, representing the presence of God. You imagine a tent being filled with the glory of God. And um, when you get into 1 Kings chapter 8, same thing happens with the temple. The glory of God fills that. And what a, an awesome, splendorous sight that must have been. Hey, you have to think of Isaiah chapter 6. Everybody's familiar with the holiness of God chapter there. And thinking about His glory that kind of ties in there. First few verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Tabernacles filled whenever the temple was first built. God filled it there. Isaiah the prophet is there. and Of course, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Not only in the tabernacle, then in the temple, but the whole earth is full of God's glory. What's sad is most people don't see that glory. When you think of the uh, ultimate revealing of Himself, Christ, uh, when we see the King, we see the Lord of hosts, we know who He is, we recognize that He's filling, He has filled the whole earth, does reside everywhere. Go to Luke chapter 2, the birth of Christ, out in the field where the shepherds are at, they get a visit. I think they get a visit from uh, some angels out of nowhere. Can you imagine sitting out there in the uh, quiet evening and all of a sudden you get this view of uh, these angels and it becomes quite loud out there all of a sudden. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God. The very glory of God was was seen there. And then you think of John 1.14, The Word became flesh, dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory. 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is full of grace and truth. The only begotten. That's the, the Son there. Then we think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Absolutely a great passage on the light of the glory of the Gospel. Verse 4, it says, "...whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, like Hebrews said, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is found in Christ. It's always in Christ. That's where we see the glory of God. He allows us to kind of glimpse into that. Every time we get into the Word of God and we look at who Christ is, we glimpse at His glory. We go from one level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory as we're being transformed into the very image of God. (laughs) We're being transformed. So, a little bit of description there. It's it's the essential nature of God. It's shown shown through the person of Christ. And uh, that's the ultimate motive. That's what God is doing. And to His people, he He will show that glory. We uh, we can go back and say, okay, well, he's he's put his glory on display in nature. You have to think of the Psalm, Psalm 19, where you can look up into the sky, see the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. So even if we're not declaring the glory of God, which we should be, we should be, you know, carrying that out even just in the lives that we live. But the heavens are shouting it out. The glory of God. That's what it's about. Uh, I think it's displayed in everything that God does. Everything that God would be associated with as He's doing it is exhibiting His His glory. And, of course, it's seen in nature. If you look back throughout uh, biblical uh, history, or any any kind of history for that matter, God's been involved in it. God's glory has uh, been shown. We can think of the flood. Uh, the grand glory of God was done there. And, of course, as a result of it, you see actually a, a lot of uh, uh, pretty cool things happened at the flood that seemed so disastrous. And you can see the beautiful nature that we have today, if you want to think of the Grand Canyon or just think of all the the rock formations and the things that happened uh, when the flood happened. Uh, Then you can think of the Exodus and how God took his people out of there and Moses then ultimately wanted to see God's glory and he showed him a glimpse of it. He kept talking to Moses. Moses related to the people and of course he revealed his law to them. There was the glory of God there. You think of the Red Sea. You think of the... um, the water that he gave them, the water spewing out of the rock. You can think of the manna. What glory uh, that that we see there. And then whenever they crossed over into the Jordan River, another miraculous thing as they uh, crossed over on dry land and went into the promised land. You can think of, uh, um, uh, I think of the, in the New Testament, I think of the Mount of Transfiguration where Christ showed a little bit more of his glory than he had even shown before. It was like he peeled himself back and let them get a glimpse of this brightness, this uh, shining of who he was uh, inside. Um, Glory you can see not only in uh, nature, you can see God's glory in history. You definitely see it in redemption, the whole plan, the scarlet thread from Old Testament all the way through New Testament, right on through eternity. Um, How about righteousness? God's righteousness. You see God's glory there. Uh, go to Romans 3.25. Glory is all over the place, isn't it? Speaks, uh, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. And when you think of what He did there, that as that propitiation happened, we see that He demonstrates His righteousness in His perfect life and then His death and then applying that righteousness to people who were lost, who He had chosen and, and bringing that forth to them because Father is satisfied. Um, so you you get definitely uh, get to see the glory there as His righteousness was demonstrated at the cross. So His holiness, His righteousness, think of any attribute. The glory is, is there. What's really fascinating is that not only would He show His glory through the flood, through nature, through redemption, all those great acts and the very righteousness of Christ, He also shows His glory through us. I I find that very fascinating, that He would choose to show His glory through His people. So we go to Ephesians 3.10. Amazing thought, isn't it? To the intent that now the manifold, multicolored wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was always planned. It was His purpose. And He decided to not only show glory in all of His grand creation, but to go ahead and put it forth in His elect people and let them shine a little glory about uh, who He is. Uh, and it's all in Christ. It's not, not our own glory here. Uh, thank the Lord. I like uh, John 17, where you have the great prayer, the intercessory that Jesus is doing there. And He says something, I think something just... Too awesome to try to understand fully here. It says in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. So we show off the glory of God, the glory of Christ, through Him working through us. He shows His glory in us. That's what he's praying for here. I, I, I don't get it. That's just, that's overwhelming. That he'd want to show his glory. Yeah, at Grand Canyon, there's great glory there, but <laughs> little old Dennis Helton and Jeff City, Missouri. Well, but his glory is shown in our weakness. <laughs> that's, that's even better, isn't it? That even magnifies his glory even more. <laughs> That's why he wants to do the ones who are not many mighty, not many noble, because then he, he can shine even more. Other, otherwise, people say, "Well, yeah, but that's that, that's that guy's really great, though." He's always had that natural talent, right? So he displays his glory. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one more, Matthew five sixteen. Matthew five sixteen. I don't remember that one. Oh yeah, let your light so shine before men. Why? that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't you like that? Yeah, the opener for uh, Down Here Saturday was uh, Mission 516, which is that name. The group, yeah. Yeah, and that's what it's based on. Because I asked the guy good verse. Back last summer, I said, what book of the Bible is that from? Cause, and he said, Matthew. So I went home and looked it up. Let your light so shine yeah. before men that they would see your good works and glorify the Father. That they would see you. It doesn't go to us. I mean, it just uh, what it should bounce right off. It, it goes goes to God. He gets the glory. All those good works He gives to us. And that's the yeah. interesting part about the, the, how we, as Christians, try to balance this life in that we are to be His witnesses um, and to be evangelistic in presenting the gospel to people that we meet. But from the other standpoint, the, the, the tension between the two is also to just do good works. And by doing those good works, people will br- bring praise 
to the Father. So, you know, so you have those those two things. And some people lean a little bit more evangelistically and just, you know, gospel, 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 gospel. And and then and then there's there's that tension where where, where people actually just I mean they just do so many good works that people end up looking at that and can't understand why they do the works that they do. And that's when they bring they they glorify the Father in heaven. Yeah, it's a. It should be a perfect balance. That's what yeah, we, would, well. we we would like. That's what we would like, wouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, it's it, there. You have God, and there you have men. The, the, and the other part that goes along with it is that, is that as we present the gospel to people, and, and when you and when you read through the gospel, and you realize what you're going to be up against. You know, when you become a Christian, and what is "quote unquote" expected of you, whether it be your behavior, or whether it be your works, or whether it be your sacrifice, it's not a very attractive proposition. You know, you don't see what is it, Paul, on an infomercial saying, "I had it all." You know, and 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 then you know, and then I was walking along the road, and boom, and then I was blind for three days. And, uh, and then, you know, things, got and then, then things got worse. <laughs> <laughs> if you call 800, you know, Jesus right now, you can do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you call on an infomercial yeah, telling you. You can go to jail. Yeah. 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 You can swim in the open sea on a piece of wood. And, you know, <laughs> oh, that just make everybody want to do that, well, wouldn't it? That's what I mean. That's why it's hard sometimes when... We'll find a cross just your side. Yeah. When people say, come to Jesus, he'll make everything better. Yes, he has I mean, he will, but that's a relationship that is just too hard to fathom. It's a little bit different kind of better than what they would imagine. You know, because he came to bring us life more abundantly. But people say, oh, abundant this, abundant that. No, abundant this and abundant that. So, Did anybody here, excuse me, Bill, I interrupted um, I just wonder if anybody here who, when they came to Christ at that time, not now, but at that time, they even realized this carry the cross and, you know, suffer for Christ's sake and all these things. Did we even, I mean, I I had no inkling of any of that. It was just, it just made me alive and then I'm finding all this out, you know. Uh, that's just, I'm just talking from, you know, experience. It's not a big selling point. Well, but if what I'm if, saying is... If you started out with that, you'd probably have a lot fewer yeah. people come well, to Christ. But I mean, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, um, yeah. since we're dead anyway before, that wouldn't not that would not only make any sense, but it, would, it wouldn't be attractive, like you say. But um, I'm just not so sure that... that uh, that even enters into when he redeems us. I don't even know. I, I mean, I, I think he just gives us this stuff in little baby steps. Yep. You know. Yep. I mean, protects us from this having the wrong... What draws us is the love. Yeah. That's what Yeah, it's like you don't care. You know, it's like just, just the save the Lord. Think about you know, it's the like when Peter, when Peter was in the boat with uh, Jesus and Jesus said, or Jesus did... What was it when he came up to him or something, and he goes, uh, uh, "Get away from me! I'm, I'm a sinner." You know, uh, you know, you realize that you're so different from holiness, and and yet you want that. And so, you know, when he says, "Come to me," you go, "Okay." You know, just <laughs> do what you will, Lord. And and then this stuff about the suffering and everything. Um, you know, I mean, I just don't know if, as baby Christians, we even are given a mind for that yet. He, he showed me the scripture I read that denying my parents, and it had to get that a lot to follow him. Before you were converted? As, as I became As you were, really? Shortly after I became a believer, you know, more, that, that there was a definite, there was a kind of a cost, and the cost was going to be my family. Okay. So he did do something there. Yeah. That, yeah, I had to say I worked with I worked with a woman 
the light of Christ shined through her. She was not evangelistic. After I was born again, I couldn't wait to get to work and tell her, and she would not believe me. She couldn't believe me. God saved me. But this woman lived so different from all the rest of us at work, and that's what got me. I watched her like a bug under a microscope. How long? How, how long are you talking about? Quite some time. Oh, yeah. I worked there seven years before as a sinner. And then another eight as, you know. <laughs> <laughs> her response to everything was different. Her but she didn't act like she was under some burden of this cross to carry thing with it, did she? I mean, no, you didn't see that. No, she that kind of life. She didn't make it. Sh- it wasn't showy. God drew you to watch her, and then He saw what you wanted. What she had is what you wanted. Little things, like when the bosses weren't there, the rest of us, you know, you come, you come back late from lunch, you take a longer break, you know, you're not so careful to do your work. Joyce, it never made any difference whether anybody. And I said, why do you do this, Joyce? <laughs> what are you gaining? Who cares? <laughs> and she didn't even know it wasn't it wasn't showy and it wasn't prideful or anything like that. She just walked a real a real humble humble walk. I found it very attractive. I didn't think it was probably true, but I kind of wanted it to be. I thought nobody is that good. I don't like it. Well, that's that's glory. That's his glory. Then that's that light. Yeah. Penny's relating that too. There's been a guy watching. That's at work, right? Mm -hmm. That's been watching you for quite some time, and actually invited her over there to him and his wife's place, and then she he just wanted to really start talking about God. And, but it, she gave him basically the truth, the, the gospel, and what he's about and everything, and he started getting really mad because that's not the God that he had heard about. Yeah. And that God never treated him right as far as he was concerned. But now he's he's open, but yet uh, if this is really true, I'm going to have to see it is what he's saying, right? So, but he's been watching for a long time. Why would he bother to ask you? That's really neat. That's that's letting God's glory just shine through you. Yeah. That I had that light shining so much, like you know, Bill was talking about all this, you know, these people that are evangelistic and the good work people. Well, and then there's the rest of us. I mean, I don't know about the good work. I don't know about the evangelism, but I'm just, you know. I don't do either. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just kind of. I I don't feel like I. I keep wondering why you're talking about all this light shining and all this stuff and me being the glory of God. I don't think so. I'm still trying to figure out how to do this. Well, if you're His, like it or not, He's going to work through you. Now, sometimes we may not yield to Him, but yet. He's working through all of us. It's so, amazing yeah. because I don't have any idea what John thinks he saw in my life. I think Swindoll said it said it really well. Um, I don't even remember. It may have been years ago where he said that, that God moves you from where you're being ministered to to where you then minister. You know, because sometimes and and. and and sometimes it can be back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you don't even, you're not even aware of it. Yeah, from being ministered sometimes. to as opposed to, yeah. to ministering. And you know, and that's where that's where he matures us, so that we can help others, you know, come along after us in the faith. Yeah, that's right. I got a question. Uh, I don't know whether it's a question or a statement or what it is. Uh, I walked in here tonight, and all these people are believers, and I didn't see the glory of God. I would much rather have been back there in the Old Testament when the yeah. light, the smoke, and the fire filled <laughs> the temple, and you couldn't enter. You know, I could recognize that. 
How do you recognize it with these people? I can't tell that this one's a Christian and this one's not. I mean, I see no glory of God. What? Why? What's the? I don't know. I I I walk into church and I don't see the glory of God. Well, you got to ask Janice there. I don't know. She saw it somehow. (laughs) No, she just saw an individual who was living a moral uh, life. and I'm not sure, but what that girl and I know her. I'm not sure that that girl, she believe her or not, not being a Christian, would not have lived that same type of life. Yeah, she loved the Lord, though. Well, I know she did, but I'm still not sure that she wouldn't have been to work on time. She wouldn't have put in a full eight hours, and she wouldn't have uh, done all the other things that people do. She was that kind of a person. Yeah. Well, what's the answer then? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How do you see God's, God's glory? Right. We see all these. Scriptures talk about the glory of God seen in this and seen in people and seen in nature and, and seen in all of his acts in history. Uh, I don't know whether I'm so worldly-minded or what, but what would have impressed me more is if I'd see the fire and the smoke fill the temple. Okay, next week, <laughs> Dale, can you get up on... No. <laughs> studied this last night, though, but they capped off the youth conference in Concord with the, the guy preached on Psalm 19. And one of the things he said about verse 1 through 6, okay, is that people have nothing to do with it in verse 1 through 6. It's, you know, the heavens declare. All, all these things, no voices, no people. That, that what he has done is supposed to be enough to declare who he is. And we have this and I don't know how we glorify God. I don't know how we do it. I'm kind of with Eldon. I, I, you know, if we, that passage in James that, that tells us to keep from being polluted by the world, you know, is one of the toughest passages in Scripture because I think that that I know that I've been polluted enough. You know, even as a as a sinner saved by grace, I'm still polluted. You know, it may take decades to get rid of all the junk, and everybody's different, but. But I mean, you know, when you when we, you know, look at the at the at, at the vessel that we are and and what he does through us, you know, sometimes oh, we're we're just, we're just pots of clay, mm-hmm. and and we may not even uh, ever even look at it uh, as anything more than that, and there's probably really no reason to. There's a subjectivism that we have there. The objectively, we can we can look at. Uh, we can look at history, we can look at creation, and we can say, hey, I know God did that. Uh, here in Psalm 19, there you have creation. Then it stops at 6, then you go into 7, and starts talking about the Word of God. This, to me, this is the second way that God reveals, through creation and then through uh, uh, direct revelation. And this is the best way that I can say that I can see God's glory, because it says the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. So I know that I've been converted. I was ultimately converted because of the Word of God. And we know the testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise the simple, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's your subjective, but yet the objective is here's what the Word of God does. Here's the Word of God. Here's what it does. rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. What does it do? It enlightens the eyes. So when we look at God's Word, as we come in here, we are enlightened just for the fact of Him giving us the, the truth. Uh, the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than golden. Of course, you go on through the rest of it. But it's all talking about the Word of God. And, and ultimately, how can we best see His glory in, in the biggest way, as far as Christians are concerned? If it's a non-Christian, they're probably not going to see this as any, anything glorious. It's going to have to take a miraculous inner work, a regenerating work, that as soon as their eyes are open, now they see things uh, differently, whether it be through people, whether it be just uh, the Word of God that was spoken through a ministry, or they read it for themselves, or you know, however God works on that. Um, we know ultimately, we know that everything is connected with God's glory. We think of God's grace. When, and that's the ultimate of all ultimate aspects in the sense that we know the real reason that we're involved in anything dealing with God 
it's His grace. Above all else, uh, and, what's been revealed to us is His grace. And I, and I look at that, you know, being under the law and then being under grace. I mean, you look at in the Old Testament, you know, when God struck all those people down when Moses got back, you know, from the from the mount, you know, and then Achan just all he hid was a little bit of plunder, and boom, you know, he's done, and the rest of his family, you know, and then even Ananias and Sapphira, you know, all they told was a little bitty lie. I mean, how much have we held back from God? Those were visible, very visible scenes. Yeah. We're talking, you know, if we're talking the fire, if we're talking, <laughs> there we have death involved. Most people never did but, anything any worse than I've ever done. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should pray like Elisha when his Elisha asked the Lord open, open the eyes of his servant, and then he saw the the spiritual reality of the situation they were in. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Lord needs to do that. Maybe we just see the jars of clay when we look at, at each other. And How much more depth is there that we're not seeing? It's got to open our eyes a little bit more to, to see. You don't see because it's there. A, a glimpse of that glory. And then a little more. I want to see it clearer, right? Well, the whole world tells us that it isn't there. You know, we we look at this list. You go down here: the flood, the Exodus, the Red Sea, the Jordan, Mount Sinai, uh, Haiti. Put it in there, mm-hmm. and everybody says, "Oh, that's just an earthquake, a natural occurrence of nature that happened." And you say, and as, as who was it, Pat Robertson or somebody said that that was a act of God that caused, and the whole world come down on him. Uh, maybe he was right. Well, he was right. I like what you had to say last week. There's more to it than just one point. Uh, there is that, but it's it's more complex, like what you put forth there, you know. And and to tell the rest of the world just that without being able to tell more, they're not going to want to hear that. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of extra facts. The flood came on the world, and he didn't <coughs> elaborate on that very much as to why it happened. Uh, the Red Sea closed back over the Egyptians, and uh, that was just an act of God. It's uh, it's the mighty power of God yeah. putting it on display. Don't believe that, any, that either of those two events happened. They'd rather not think that God has anything to do with any of those kind of things. That the Red Sea happened because they thought Charles Heston. Well, that's more believable. <laughs> I see the glory of God like that. Yeah, that's all we want to yeah. see, right? Well, <laughs> but you know, you, you think about you know that generation that wandered through the desert, moaning and groaning the whole time, like we would have too, because we're just like them. I'm learning that more and more and more as we get into the scriptures. That we don't want that glory in our foot. We don't want it. We run from it, and um, we're going to fight that. You know, with our wills and stuff, and uh, even those people that saw that stuff didn't care. After a while, you know, it's like, so what? We're gonna make our own calf, and da da da, da you know. And then later on, Judah Judah made two, or Israel made two calves. You know, I mean, so they they're into the calf making business. You know, you know, and we're always doing that. We're always setting up our own idols and stuff. And in the flesh, we don't want to see, even as Christians, spirit. You know, with the spirit in us, maybe not the spirit filled. You know, because we don't maybe have uh, haven't spent enough time with God or whatever. I don't know, but I just something we got to do. Well, that's what you just said. Something that that we need to yield to God to let do in us. um, You know, uh, realize that. that world, flesh, and devil thing is just ever present. Like, well, that was mentioned here. The world, the influence you mentioned that. But I think, I think it's our own flesh that's the biggest enemy of God. Um, I, you know, I think uh, the other two definitely are, are influences. But uh, even when we're born again. Dennis talks about every time, every single time I hear Dennis teach on something, we have this battle, you know, and uh, I'm, I see it more and more in myself. 
you know, it's kind of like as God reveals His holiness to us, you know, we do realize more of our sinful flesh nature, and, and our old man wants to rear his ugly head and you know, come back and take over again and stuff. And um, you know, and then we live in this uh, society in the West here where we have we're so rich, <laughs> you know, that we have everything. And and you know it's like we just don't uh, know how to appreciate it. I guess. But, um, I don't know. For me, I, just to kind of boil this down, we can talk about seeing God's glory in me. He wells up joy, His joy, a supernatural joy in me. That's how I see His glory. Um, I I don't know if that just you know why that. Is uh, you know the way that I see it, but I don't need to see it in other people. I like seeing it, but you know, and and it's it's encouraging to me, and and I I hope and I pray that that there is more that I see in others. But uh, you know, it it really comes down to that one-on-one, you and God, what He's doing with you, what you're letting Him do with you. you know, and uh, and I think if we have that joy, then that's what exudes, that's what lights for other people. You know, I don't know how Julia saw a difference in me when I was saved because I didn't realize. I mean, I was, I could see that I was, uh, I was responding to God saying you need to love your wife, but I didn't really know how that was, how she was seeing that. But she got mad. She got real mad at first. She was really angry at this God stuff. You know, Carolyn and I have talked about this, where uh, you know she's talked to her sister or whatever, and her sisters noticed, you know, responded to things, and Carolyn didn't even know there was any difference in Carolyn, but her sister noticed. So God shows it you know, His own way. Uh, but anyway, I just those are some thoughts. Or is, uh, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Yeah. And so it's it's His pleasure ultimately to work through His people, whether we probably feel like it or see like yeah. see it or not. And Jesus, of course, Jesus also said somewhere in here about He was talking, and I, I don't know about the context, but he was talking about you know the simple and adulterous generation looks for a sign, and uh, you know signs and wonders, whatever. Uh, and he says none will be given to you but uh, what was it Jonah sign of Jonah mm-hmm. or something like that and you know which refers to I guess the resurrection right and and the Hebrews 1 um, Hebrews 1 and we just read that earlier what is it that we uh, that we really should be looking at and it's the brightness of Christ's glory, or the very glory of God through the person of Christ. He's the express image. So in these last days, he, he used to speak through the prophets. He did all those signs and wonders and miracles, but it was all just a setup for the ultimate, which is Christ himself. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So it's not so much necessarily even seeing things as they saw in the Old Testament, it would be seeing the person of Christ and how He works in. In these last days, that's how He's shown His glory ultimately. So whether we see it in a body of Christ, a local body, a big body, well, fantastic, great, but He's always working in His church and in everything. But uh, as you see it, it, it's the person of Christ. That's how we, I think, ultimately see that glory. Moses, when he would go up on the mountain and his face would shine, and when we look at Christ, when we individually are looking for God and looking for Christ, that's when other people see it in us. When we're when we're doing our part and looking into God's word and, and looking at Christ, then other people see that His glory in us. Yeah. 
Yeah. In Hebrews 12, it says, um, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are people we can see down through history, those great people in the Hall of Faith, whether it be like Moses, for instance, one of those. Anyway, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And so here's the part that we do. You know, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what do we do? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The way we can put his uh, glory on display is running this race, this race that we have to endure, and it's a marathon, and that is probably one of the best ways we can put on the, the glory of Christ as we look into on, unto Christ. We let him do that work. <laughs> Whatever we look like, uh, it, it's finally going to come to the fact of we're looking at Christ. Too easy. But um, he is what the glory is about. And his grace, um, the grace of Christ, the grace of this whole idea, this theme that uh, has been building up in Ephesians, it uh, always attacks at the heart of what man thinks that he can either please God with or arrive at a a point in his life where he feels secure. Uh, somebody's always looking at some kind of merit in themselves. And um, somebody wrote it like this, Grace is God's unearned rich generosity to moral paupers just like you. Grace is the unmerited favor of God to hell-deserving sinners. Grace is God acting freely and redemptively according to His own nature as love and accomplishing the salvation of favored fallen men and women. Grace presents sinners with no obligations that they have to fulfill and no ultimatums. There's no obligations. It comes from God's love for you, a cold and bored rebel, and God's willingness to rescue you. And then he goes on to say, if you were to be treated justly by God, then there would be no alternative to His condemning you for what you are and what you've done. God is under no obligation at all to be anything but straight with you. Instead of condemning you, has come to you in love and through Christ, blessed you with every spiritual blessing, chose you to be saved and adopted you as His child. And the motive He has for acting towards you in this wonderful way comes wholly from within himself. There was no outward pressure, no force, no um, uh, view that uh, came from anybody else, but it was brought upon by God. And that's what we've been seeing all along here in Ephesians. Uh, we were uh, He brought his kindness to enemies, and he loved the unlovely. And then we see the great thing that he does. I think that the ultimate goal of this whole election that we've been talking about, the preeminent reason why God didn't leave all humanity in their reward, uh, their just reward of their sin, was that he wanted to put his glory on display, that his grace would be that much bigger. So he takes sinful mankind and out of sinful mankind he chooses some to be with him and that that just magnifies his grace when when they really see how undeserving they are um, the glory of God's saving grace to be seen to be magnified to be adored to be appraised and that's really ultimately where it comes down to doesn't it the grace of God so what we do is we, we continue to see this theme all that God does ultimately does is to glorify himself. It's about himself. That's where we can finally say self. It's himself. <laughs> and know that that's perfectly perfect. That's good. That's great. Uh, when somebody was to, if they were to hear, well, God wants all the glory. And he wants everybody to pay attention to him. And he wants everybody to be in awe of him. It sounds like he's very selfish. If it be anywhere, any way else, it would be wrong. 
because He is the perfect one. It must be all about Him. So anyway, that kind of gets us into that next phrase, which is really amazing in the sense to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved or it might read a little bit different. I've got accepted. I always like that phrase, but um, it's dealing with highly favored there instead of accept. It's highly favored or what's some translations you guys have? Blessed. Right? the praise of the glory of His grace by which He blessed us which He has blessed us in the Beloved. That phrase, in the Beloved, is, is the key. In the Beloved. This is one of the most magnificent phrases in the Bible. Right here. We are accepted or highly favored in the Beloved. We're blessed. Uh, the, the word is... Um, connected with this. If you're familiar with that word, it's charis, which is grace. And so, that's why we say highly favored, uh, blessed, accepted. Probably goes a little bit further than just accept. He made us uh, highly favored, graced in the Beloved. Now, in the Beloved, that phrase, this is how God has manifested His glory. This is how He has done it. He's done it in His Beloved. Every blessing we have, and we've seen that in verse 3, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? In Christ Jesus. Everything that we have according to salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Every blessing. God's glory is revealed ultimately and finally and most completely through Jesus Christ. And it's mentioned over and over. Uh, verse 1, Paul an apostle Jesus Christ, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in, in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, at the end of verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, uh, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He made us accepted in the Beloved. We see in the six, those six verses there, it's constantly on this Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, though, it changes from the phrase Lord Jesus Christ now to in the Beloved. And why would He do that? Why would you change His name now to the Beloved? We say, well, He's getting tired of writing that. He wants to put a different name there. Well, even if Paul... <laughs> did say, okay, let's, let's go to a different name. He was still inspired to do it. Every detail in Scripture is important. So when you're reading, you'd say, okay, now wait a minute. In the Beloved. In the Beloved. What, what's going on? Here? Why is he doing this? You'll always discover jewels if you can just stop, start thinking about it, look, search. Just look a little bit. In the Beloved. Where, where's this at? Is this found anywhere else? In the Beloved. It's great that we're chosen. It's great that we're holy. It's great that we're blameless. It's great that we're adopted. But the highest peak is how He did this. How did He make us all the way into uh, where we were at? It was in the beloved. Now, this is the key. What we're going to do is just take a, a few scriptures and go to them so we can wrap this thing up. Jesus only is really the what? The only begotten Son, Right? The beloved is the term that emphasizes this this truth here that we're looking at. Remember in Matthew three seventeen, uh, you have the baptism of Jesus. Do you remember what was said there? And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, "This is my beloved son." in whom I am well pleased. There he calls him beloved. He's being baptized. This is a very instrumental time in uh, his life, just right here on earth. Chapter 17, verse 5, the Mount of Transfiguration. And again, the Father is identifying who this is. What does he call him? A voice comes out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, 
saying, right, whom I am well pleased. Hear him. The beloved son. Chapter 21, verse 37. Then last of all, and this is Jesus talking about the parable of the landowner. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son, but whom, when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. It's kind of alluding to um, who he is, but he was one that was sent from the um, um, you have this landowner, and the son goes there, and the, the son is going to be killed. But he, he sent his son to them. And Jesus would be relating to this. He is the beloved son, again, in, the, in that illustration. That's kind of the thought. Um, even though Jesus doesn't say it in that same wording, but it would be in that same uh, venue. Uh, Colossians 1.13, again, something like this, when he says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Son of His love or beloved Son. And so Father says it quite a few times. And it's like every time you see this, the veil of heaven is just kind of taken back a little bit. It's drawn back enough to where you can see a glimpse of eternal glory here when the Father is speaking about the Son who is beloved. Now then remember, this is, this is with uh, to the praise of the glory of His grace. The world is to see God's glory through us. We've been talking about that. But God's glory is manifested most in where? In His Son. We saw it in Hebrews 1. We saw it in John 1.14. We see it in Colossians 2.9. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in Christ, right? the very deity. So the highest manifestation of the glory of God comes to the earth in the person of Christ the Son who is the Beloved One. And so He is one with the Father. The Son has always enjoyed the total love of God for eternity. They have had perfect love without it ever being torn apart in a perfect way. Perfect way to express it. So how, how can we measure the Father's love? We'll, we'll measure the Father's love, measure the Son's love. Real quick, real quick. Father's always loved the Son, right? Eternally. We can't even fathom that. We can't begin to understand how the Father sent the Son into um, this sinful, this evil world. He knew men would revile His Son, that they would um, torture Him, that they'd laugh at Him, scorn Him, uh, crucify him, and they would refuse his beloved son. And, and of course, he knew that this is all part of the plan. But he, he didn't spare the beloved. Now, in Second Corinthians five twenty one, he says he made his son an offering for us that we would have the righteousness of God. That's quite the love that's being demonstrated on there as he sends. That's expansive, isn't it? The Father's love. How about the measure of the son's love? Well, when he empties himself as he comes into this world in the incarnation, the life that he uh, that he lives, but he was seen to do this from all eternity, and he even though he had always been in glory, he suffers in his limitations, and he says, "My father, my father, why have you forsaken me?" To the point, you know, and you think of Psalm 22, where David had mentioned that. But that was the depth of the love that the Son has for us in that there was, in some sense, some kind of a separation or however we want to term that. You hear it so many different ways. But that is expansive to see what kind of love He had for us. The Father had. The Son so what's our relationship with God? So far we've been saying it, okay, here's the relationship to God. Here's the relationship to the Son. Now we look at our relationship to uh, this this whole scene. We are called. We're chosen to holiness. We're, we're chosen to blamelessness. We're chosen to sonship. And ultimately, for that reason, to praise God's glory. But even greater, I want you to catch this as we get ready to go here. Even greater as that we are to be loved by God, the Father, as He loved the Son. This 
is incredible. I want you to catch this. He loves us as much as He does the Son. Go to John 17.23. This is hard to understand. Jesus is praying for um, the disciples. He's praying for even us. It says, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have, you ready for this? Loved them as you have loved me. Is that staggering? We see the immense love that the Father had for us, that the Son had for us, but and the eternal love that the Father and the Son have always had and always will have. And He includes us in here. We're adopted sons. We're not by nature like Him. But we are loved like He loves the Son. Wow. Look in Colossians 3.12. What does he call us? Remember we were talking about the Son is called the Beloved? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and what? Beloved. That's the same intimate word that he used for his Son, and he calls the elect of God not only holy, but Beloved. Love it. The intimacy of communion with the Father and the Son, and now we're included in this. This is the ultimate blessing of our salvation. The ultimate. This is high as the summit goes. <laughs> it can't get any further than that. You know, this love thing doesn't fit very well with evolution. You know, because people want to say that we you know, came from goo, but love doesn't come from goo. You can't. Hmm. You know, it's just, it's one of those human things. How do you explain? You can't explain it. A true of what God's love is. Love. Even the human kind of love, you yes. can't explain it. Overwhelming. This is, this is the ultimate blessing. You know, we, we all know that He loves us. But He loves us like He loves the Son. That's what Christ the Son prayed for in that prayer. And He calls us beloved. Have you ever thought that God is unfair? (laughs) Have we ever thought that God has been kind of unkind to us? (laughs) Stop it, right? (laughs) Can't say that. When Vernon McGee signs off his uh, little messages, Every day he'll say, uh, "May God richly bless you, my beloved." And then uh, Alistair Begg uses, you know, "beloved" to his congregation a lot when he's addressing them, you know, letting them know that he he knows he's supposed to love them. And, you know, so he's going to call them beloved in Christ. That word and might take on more meaning to us now, yeah, huh? You know, That's a good term to use. It's uh, it's intentional. You know, you have to think that way. <laughs> Overwhelming. What uh, what a blessing. John Calvin said, The Son of God became the Son of Man that the sons of men might be made the sons of God and even beloved sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for what Your Word says. No matter how much we understand or don't understand, no matter how much we see or don't see, uh, to perceive uh, just the thought that uh, you would love us and so much like the Son and bring you into your family is truly staggering and overwhelming. And we can't grasp that on on this side. And it will take eternity to know that. But uh, Lord... Any time that we start thinking that uh, life is a little hard, we really have to think of what you have done for us and are doing for us and have uh, 
yet to do as far as we see it. But we know that this is true. These things are deep, but yet you have revealed those to us. Help us to understand a little bit more what that means so that we can somehow glorify you in whatever way that that you want. Uh, Help us to see some things that we don't see, that we we really truly would, would desire that. We look for your your spirit to empower us and to make us effective witnesses of you and your glory, for it is for your glory and that alone. In your Son, the Beloved's name, amen. 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 Amen.